unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. All right, so let's get rolling here. So tonight I have someone here with us. Uh, they go by their pen name El Vago, and they also have a blog and a site. Uh, you can see the address there on the screen, uh, bigquitenergy.com. Uh, you can also see the Twitter handle to follow them there. They Their primary position right now in, in the field they're in is the advertising industry. So we're going to get into that, and, and, and we had a, a discussion before we came on, and we're going to end the show on that, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy what, what gets said there, um, but let's just get into it. So, good evening, sir. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and we will go from there. Good evening, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Good evening to everybody. Um, it's an honor. I really enjoy this show. I enjoy the community you guys have here, um, and you guys have great conversations. As far as me, um, um, I would say that what's relevant for the show today, as far as my story, is that, um, as you said, I work in advertising right now, and it's a job that I, you know, I would say I wanted for a while, or at least I wanted to work in a creative field. Um, earlier, when I started working, um, you know, I did a little bit of, of retail. I, I was a stock boy for a beverage company working grocery stores. I did a little bit of, um, you know, work at restaurants, I, transportation. And I always wanted, I think I've had other guests you've had have alluded to this where, you know, I wanted maybe something not just more creative, but like an office job where I pictured it being real cushy and people kind of living, living well. And while I must say, I think I'm overall happy with the decision and, and you know, it's it's pretty decent where I am. Uh, the reason I'm on the show and I answered your call is because it gave me an opportunity to really think about once I got into this field, there was a lot of ways in which was it was it's better than other fields. But then there were ways in which I was surprised at how kind of toxic it is and and. Um, kind of the grind and the stress shows up in different ways. And, and I think that's interesting. And um, yeah, I would love to talk about that today, but that's my story. Awesome. So let, let's kind of get into the weeds a little bit to explain what you do. So you, you work for an advertising agency. So obviously for all of us in retail, we know what advertising is. We know, you know, what goes into it, but what, I'm assuming it's compartmentalized. There's different departments and whatnot. So what specific function do you have in the firm that you work with? Yes, sir. Um, and you're right. It is compartmentalized. My job is sort of um, relatively new in the field. And by that, I mean maybe 20, 25 years old um, in that you used to not see people. And they it has different names. Some people call it strategy. Some people call it planning. I, I think of it kind of as I'm the person, I'm not the person who exactly makes the ads themselves uh, or writes them. Although sometimes when we're short staffed and that's a big theme, I'm uh, enlist, I, I enlist myself into helping do that too. But ideally what I do is um, I'm the person who's responsible to get to know the audience that we're supposed to talk to, right? So if somebody, you know, wants to sell some bottled water or something, 
Um, usually they have a type of person or a population in mind that, you know, they've, they've figured, hey, there's a market for this water bottle. I'm supposed to kind of get them, get to know them, whether it's through interviews, through reading reports, internet research, whatever it is. And I come back to my team and I say, all right, here's what these people kind of care about when it comes to water or when it comes to life or both. And doesn't matter how the ad comes to life or, or the story is kind of up to the creative team, but there are certain themes and that you need to hit, or I'm the one that makes sure that we believe that when people see the ad, they'll come away thinking and or feeling, you know, what we want them to in order to buy the product, which when I say it out loud, it sounds a little, uh, I guess, manipulative, but that that's roughly it. I, I, I tell people that if, if anybody who follows politics, we're like sort of the equivalent of like the the Carl Roves of the world, the people, the messaging people, people who figure out the messaging you want. Oh, that makes sense. So do me a favor. I don't know if you're like muting. Don't bother muting because there's something that goes on with like the muting on the other end. It does like this cricket thing. It's kind of weird. But, okay. But but it, I am I, I am not muting. But if it continues, let me know. Maybe I can just take out my mic or something, right. or just use the cool speakers. Maybe it was just a fluke. It could be a Skype thing too, because Skype is is kind of finicky from time to time. So, so you're so you're really kind of like the data person, right? You're you're the person who has who who wants to make sure that the bullet points are hit and that you know you've got you know your pointer over the target as far as what people need to gain from what's being produced, correct? I would say that's mostly right. Um, although we're so compartmentalized that some places have dedicated data people beside my role, right? So I'm kind of, I would say I'm almost like the person who, whether I get the data myself or somebody else gets it, that's part of the job. But then the other part is, is kind of translating that data in terms that like an art director can understand or somebody writing a script there is, it sounds like a little bit wonky, but I think there is like ways of, of like taking the information that, and, and the themes that you want to like come across, but you, you sort of put them in the terms that creatives can take action on or sort of wrap their mind around. So I'm, I, I am the data person, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't even say a coach. They would not agree with that. Right. My creators wouldn't. But I'm I'm sort of like their part of the team, like helping consult, helping make sure that like whatever we make, I feel like it's gonna make sense for our for our target. Um, but I also need to make sure that we're do we're 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 presenting the information to them in a way that's inspiring enough. And then when they come up with an idea. Part of my job is also to convince whether it's our clients or other people in our agency that of why, like to kind of defend the creativity, we call it, where it's like, hey, like we, even though this might, this came, went in like an unexpected direction, here's why I still think it will work for our audience. Um, so it's a little bit of a a double allegiance there a little bit. Gotcha. So from an education standpoint, what, you know, uh, I'm assuming you had to have a degree to get into this. You, I, I think, yeah, they checked that I have a degree. They don't really, I do not, I did not study advertising or communication or anything like that. So in terms of having a specific degree for advertising, that's not always a, a must. Um, 
I happened to have majored in political science and then I did minor in visual art. So I kind of talked my way into the combination of those. Um, Transferable skills. Yeah, you know, yeah, it did. I, I took that to heart. Um, it helped out. I mean, one thing that that is kind of a I've noticed about advertising is that people from a lot of different backgrounds educationally do tend to uh, make it in. Um, they don't force you to to work in advertising unless you want to be kind of the creative themselves. And in that case, not only is not college, I mean, I guess you could go to college. They, they care for you to have like a portfolio. So if you don't have that yet, there is kind of this other business, I guess, if you will, where people go through these things called ad schools. It's like one year programs. They seem very expensive. And, and really, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they teach you, aside from the fact that you get an opportunity to make some like fake ads and then like have a portfolio. Um, and then the, I, 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 sh I will say that there are people also who come into the field who maybe started out in other businesses, um, whether they went to college or not, like that they started out maybe being, say, like field reps for a beverage company or something. Right. Work their way up to marketing uh, just through their work and then sometimes transition over to advertising. So um, but they do generally, I would say 95 percent of people who work there went to, to college that they do. It, I, I don't necessarily agree that that should be the case, but they, you know, I think most HR people or, or most, most recruiters don't want to take that risk of like, you know, I don't know. Right. It's dumb, but it's, it's a box they check for sure. Well, I'm going to go through a couple of things here in the chat. Uh, the first one go with blame tag because he says, I feel like advertising is one of those fields where everyone just assumes they'd be good at it for no reason. Like Chandler on <laughs> friends was just like, I hate my job. Guess I'll go do advertising. Like that's something you could just go do. <laughs> that's funny because I kind of, that's how I kind of got into it. I mean, I was, I had, um, I, I was working as a, you know, in another field I had, I would do like video production on my own because mm -hmm. I've, I've always loved video. Um, but so I would, I had kind of two jobs. One was the video thing I did for myself and one was another job. And then I got laid off and I said, I need something consistent. What should I do? And I just saw an ad on TV and I was like, maybe I'll do that. And I, the way I got into it is I got, I tried to go into doing the production and they said, Oh, no way. You have to have gone to portfolio school. And this is what, when they talked to me about, kind of the strategy side of things. And I realized when they described that, I realized it's very similar to how I would prep to make my videos. But what I did is I, I just knew, you know, they say it's who you know, and I do kind of believe that. I, I knew some people who had interned at an ad agency and asked them for advice, and they talked to some people. And then I got um, just linked up with someone because we had the same similar ethnic backgrounds of all things. Right. And he and he liked he liked me, but they didn't have an opening. So I kind of freelance. I used the video thing to like help him out on some internal stuff. I basically would just freelance for them every now and then for a bunch of months until I finally ran out of money. And I said, hey, I'm going to I'm moving back in with my parents, not in the city, but nice to see you. And that's when they said, well, maybe here, have an internship. And and then after that, things kind of worked out. You, know, um, the, you bring up a really good point. And I, and I just want your per perspective on this. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of self-made people out there, especially with technology the way it is. And, and, you know, I'm bringing up the video. So do you really think that we're at a point now 
that if you've got somebody that has, say, for lack of better terminology, their own personal portfolio of work they've done themselves, you know, whether it be Mm -hmm. a hobby or something, you know, they have a YouTube channel or whatnot. Do you think that we're at a point where, you know, these companies should be able to recognize that talent and give them a shot without having a piece of paper saying that they did it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I went to college, but you know, a lot of people in my family didn't. My father didn't. My father is um, a lot smarter than I am. You know, um, I, I think it's weird. I, in essence, the way I think about college, college doesn't necessarily it doesn't change your character. Right. It doesn't it, it probably gives you some knowledge you maybe wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. But mm-hmm. with the Internet. You can just look up the curriculum. If you really want to learn about something, you can look up the curriculum. You can, like, learn it yourself. So college, in essence, is just someone certifying that, you know, you could show up to class on time enough or whatever, that you're not, like, a total idiot. And that, like, it's it's just like a a stamp. And I think if you just want that certification with technology, what it is now, there's a lot of different ways. And, I mean, I'm not sure anybody – you asked me if they looked at my college resume or my degree – I actually, I said yes, because I assume they did, but honestly, they might have not like the, you know, nowadays you can, people have track records and the way I feel about it is there are always going to be fields that you probably should go to college and that, it you know, you shouldn't be learning like surgery on the fly, like by right. yourself, like go to, go to school for that. Right. Or the sciences, things that you need to like labs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, you, you, um, YouTube is not a viable option to learn to do open heart surgery, you know? Right, although I'm sure there's videos out there that I wouldn't know. But but for the most part, I think you're right, especially in creative fields. And you do see that now. I mean, um, I would say people who kind of make a name for themselves online through their creativity, they don't end up working at ad agencies because in a the sense they maybe already leapfrogged that, like they're mm-hmm. already at a higher level. But brands do notice that, and then they just hire them to, like, make stuff for them. Like, that's, I guess, influencers, right. for better or worse, is part kind of, like, describes people like that. Well, um, I, you know, I'm okay with an influencer if they have talent. I'm not okay if they're just, hey, look, I'm on Instagram, and, and I'm a pretty-looking person. Let me pimp your gear. You know, that that they can take a long walk off a short pier as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> True. So, I think for as far as for advertising purposes, I think, uh, you know, brands probably don't see the difference. They just want you to have a lot of followers. But, but is, you know what? That is, you made a you just made a brilliant point, because think about this. You've got, quote unquote, influencers who they want to be, quote unquote, brand ambassadors mm-hmm. and advertising firms and companies don't think for a minute they're not looking like we can get them for pretty cheap, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and, yep. and, and you've got this person who, who wants to rep like Xbox or, you know, Victoria's secrets or, or whatever and say, Hey, look, I'm this person and they're getting underpaid because this is something they want so bad. I can definitely see the industry taking advantage of that in a big, big kind of way. So, you know, if you're an influencer out there and you happen to see this, get business savvy (laughs) real (laughs) real quick. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you get an agent. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, One question I did want to get back to. Um, 
Irish Connection asked what industries, retail or otherwise, have the most unrealistic expectations of what an advertising agency can do? Oh, wow. That's a great question. That's a huge question right there. I'm not sure I've thought of that. Um, Well, I did work specifically on retail advertising for a few years back in the day. And I think, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I think retail clients kind of uh, have maybe not unrealistic expectations of, say, what... uh, Sure they do. They always do. You can say it. What a YouTube ad can do or anything, but... I was always kind of amazed at the lofty goals that they had for just a sign in the store. Um, You know, just like, Oh, this is the good stuff now. Yeah. I did a lot of, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing signage and, you know, we were short staffed a lot back then. So I would write some headlines for the signs and it was all in great fun, but they would, you know, they would, um, they call we call it brief us. Like they would brief us on the assignment. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, they would have like ridiculous goals for like, oh, this signs, you know, we'll 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 evaluate if did this sign drive up uh, sales, you know, two times over on. Do they really believe that though? I mean, I go ahead because uh, you know if you're in that kind of position, like you said, you know, you're you're kind of looking at the data and whatnot. I mean, are there people out there? I mean, is there proven data that shows that like a properly placed sign is going to increase? exponentially you know sales uh, or whatnot or is this kind of like myth uh probably more myth i don't i i don't know for sure but i don't think they believe that a lot of times i think they just put in goals to put in goals and then why the hell are there um, so many damn signs in a retail store well that i see i would love to hear from you on like how much is enough or not because when i was working that 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 agency i I don't know. Like they just sold me like I knew retail. I didn't know it that well. I mean, I learned, I did read a lot on like the theory. I would say there's a lot of theory. I will say that like you can find some interesting books on like why our supermarkets set up the way they are set up. And yes, um, you know, a lot of times in retail from our point of view, the, the goal is to kind of, you know, you assume most people, especially at grocery stores are kind of on autopilot. Like, I don't think too hard about what I'm going to buy for groceries. It right. doesn't change that much day to, you know, week to week. So you're really trying to like interrupt like their thought pattern or like really kind of stand out. So I, again, signs, one sign somewhere like, and especially if you have a ton of signs, they're all just kind of blend into each other. But, you know, that's why things like uh, end, end cap displays and things like that, mm-hmm. I think are so sought after because, they're kind of in the perimeter. You can kind of build them so they get in the way. They catch attention. Yep. So in, in in that sense, you know, it is somewhat of a creative exercise. But we've we had a lot of clients that they didn't want to, I guess, pony up the money for that. They just wanted like a sign somewhere in the middle of an aisle, and it was supposed to like solve all their problems. Just this one sign, just kill it. You know, to me, uh, to so, me, so that was funny. To me, for like an advertising agency, I would think that like retail is like low hanging fruit. Because it would almost like be the dumb section of the industry. It's like, oh, we've been taught that signs do this and you got advertising agencies. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do these signs knowing full well it's not going to help them, but you take the money and run. <laughs> and which which brings up a question. Uh, Russell asked, is radio still the most effective way of advertising or has the Internet completely destroyed that? 
you know, radio still, as far as I I know, and then what everybody says, like still kicking. Um, it's 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 very effective with certain audience segments more than others. Um, talk radio people so, probably. Talk radio people, you know, people who live in cities or states that they use their car a lot mm-hmm. would be one. Um, you know, Hispanic people, they they respond really well to radio. Um, really? I did not know that. Yeah, and it's, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't quite understood. I don't think people know exactly why, but I, I think there's, first of all, it's just like a lot of good Spanish language radio. And I think, and because there's less stations you can kind of be sure that if somebody who's like Spanish language is oh, listening to certain stations. That's true. Because on your FM band, wherever you're at, there's not many. There's like one or two, right? Yep. So you can kind of, you have a little bit more audience concentration there. And, um, and I, I not, I don't want to get like super stereotypical here, but like, I think jobs, like, uh, like it's still very common for like people, like Latino people to have like jobs where, it's more common to have the radio on all day. Like, um, so I don't know. It, it just kind of like, I don't know. It, it seems like it's still very effective with them. And also online audio is effective with them too. So there's like some, some of like that crossover, um, relationship with audio and music that is interesting. I, I don't know if anybody quite understands why, but that's something that they've seen. Um, so radio, yeah, radio still pretty effective. Um, and it's pretty underrated, you know. Most creative teams don't love working on radio, although you do have one or two people who that's kind of their thing, and they do a really good job at it. But you know, most of the glory and the awards and stuff goes to like TV or print ads, the visual, the visual media. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, real quick before we get into your list of things that you wrote down, um, as a musician, okay. Can you explain to me what the infatuation is with writing jingles that sound god awful? <laughs> because, well, I will say one thing. I think that's kind of less common now. I feel like it used to be like the move. When you think about TV ads, used to have a lot of jingles too. Mm-hmm. They've, I don't want to say they've abandoned that, but they've they don't do it as much. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter like how much us ad agencies try to tell everybody that like. It's about the creativity and all that. At the end of the day, really what the the point of an ad is to be remembered. And there's few things that are more memorable than like a god awful jingle that sticks in your head. And I that's pretty much it. That's why they do it. I have a real life relative um thing that happened in the last forty eight hours. So we talk about jingles, like you said, to be remembered. So I'm at this person's place yesterday playing music and he's getting ready to play a song that we're getting ready to go over like through Bluetooth, like on Spotify. And then an ad comes on and it's the damn Home Depot ad. And I'm sitting there with a guitar. It I've never played this in my life, but it's so ingrained hearing that music that automatically I just started playing it on guitar. And there was like this big, huge joke. But to your point, <laughs> you're 100% correct. I knew what it was, like the first note. I'm sitting there playing it all of a sudden just for fun. But you're right. You know, it has to be memorable. You have to remember it. And it's just, you know, drilled into your brain. Yeah. My teams have never designed a jingle now that I think about it. And that's a little disappointing to me. I feel like that should be on our 
before I quit or whatever, be on the bucket list. Uh, nice. Jingles are, I mean, I hate jingles. I, I, I would like to tell everybody, I hate ads, period. Like, I really, I try to block them whenever I, I don't enjoy advertising. And when a jingle gets stuck in my head, it's the worst thing ever. Well, yeah. But, uh, You're listening. But it's like, I don't know. It's like, you can't be an ad person and not have made a jingle, I feel like. Well, I feel like we should get on that. Some of it, <laughs> some of it's just kind of ridiculous to me. It's like, okay, you know, you've got like a, a, a grocery store jingle that they try to turn into a, like a hip hop song. Mm, to yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. that's like you're trying too hard. You know, it's it's like yeah. you know whatever. But at the same time, you know, you can't go back to doing like 1950s jingles where it's like a barbershop quartet singing the name of the business. That just doesn't fly these days. So, but anyway, going back to what we had discussed. So, you took a look at the job that you were in, and you kind of had mm-hmm. you know there's good things and there's bad things and, and, you know, versus say like retail and other businesses. So kind of go through what you came up with. Sure. I will. Um, I enjoyed this exercise and, um, I don't know. It just made me like think about things I hadn't really thought about. I'll start, I guess with the good. And honestly, it's probably like just one thing is like the pay is just a lot better. I mean, we're not like eye bankers or anything. Uh, we're not millionaires, but it's just like, Steady pay, you know, the benefits were really good before. They've been kind of been cutting down on those in the industry, but, um, you know, still pretty solid. Um, So I don't want to discount that because I don't want to sit here kind of bitching about my industry now where it's like, you know, it's 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 one of those few, I think, remaining industries that at least salary wise, I feel like pays a pretty decent wage right well uh, um, on that real quick if, yeah. if you don't mind and you don't have to give us an exact figure okay yep so your your age and around about wage for what you do like i said you don't have to name it exactly sure uh i'm in my mid-30s mm-hmm. um i make basically like i just started making uh six figures like this year there you so go like low end of low end of that I will say, like, it's one of those industries, like, you hear, for example, like, iBankers kind of get out, come in out of college and they're already making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The people, like, I think when they first start, you know, young people out of college or whatever, when they first scoop you up, certainly happened to me, they're paying you maybe thirty or 40000 uh, if they can really get you. Uh, but, you know, every jump you make, well, it's a... I guess part of the downside and the upside I was going to get to is it's a very um, kind of volatile field because, mm-hmm. you know, agencies, clients switch agencies all the time. Right. Agents, as soon as a client leaves your agency, you know, they're laying off like half the people. Right. So people getting laid off is like pretty common. Um, but then again, so is jumping around. And so I think if you were like kind of in the right place at the right time and you're like ready to jump to another agency, you can negotiate like pretty good term, you know, a pretty big jump. Um, and some people are better at that than others. I think some, a lot of people progressed a lot quicker than I did. I've been in a little bit over like 10 years um, in the industry myself. So entry level, if you can give us all an idea how long, you know, it took from where you came in to make, you know, right at six figures oh like uh like nine years eight or nine years it could have been quicker though honestly i was not necessarily the most focused or savvy at 
um, kind of jumping up, making that game. Right. Because, you, you know, you see, um, but, I, you know, to give you a frame of reference, though, within five, I was making 70. Okay. So that's, that was, I thought for me, like, that was. That's, that's really good. That's really good. It's really good. I mean, you know, especially if, like, once you take away student loans or whatever, it's like more money than I feel like I would need. Like, it's great. Uh, so it can happen pretty quickly. And, and I had people who, like, started around the same time as I did who just advocated for themselves much more fiercely. Uh, who were probably making that within two or three years. So I'm not probably the best person to ask about that because I think it could be a lot quicker. But, than but you know, but I think I think your story and your path there is probably more um, realistic. You know, you do have the people that you work with, and I'm sure this will come in, you know, with the toxicity and stuff, the people that advocate mm -hmm. for themselves hardcore. Some of us, right. we just weren't raised that way. We, we're, we're respectable. We feel like we do X amount of work and we feel like we deserve, you know, such and such. And I really do think there's a fear for a lot of us to ask for what we're worth. So there's no shame in it taking you that long and because there's people out there that are raised to just step on people to get where they want to get. And having said that, I'm sure that's probably part of your list. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't begrudge my like coworkers as much in this list. Um, and I will say this, like I did try. It's funny. Like, I feel like when, when, when I first get into the industry, I was just kind of desperate to be honest. Um, so I kind of knew I was getting a little underpaid, but then after a while, once I made like that mid level, I didn't, I tried to not know, which is kind of really dumb when you think about it, but I tried to really not, I, I advocate for people to not just like know each other's wages, but like unionize. But the way I was thinking about it back then, I was like, if it's, if this is good enough for me, like I don't, I, I wanted to almost not know what other people were making because I feel like there is something to be said for being just like. You know, if, if your salary is like what you think, if you think it's fair and it's doing the job for you, that was fine. It was. But then eventually I would undeniably find out what other people were making and yep. kind of like what they and then I would, you know, I, it would light a fire inside of me, I guess. But OK, so in this list, I would say the so I gave you the good, which is mostly the pay. I think some of the part of the bad is the the fact that it is kind of volatile Um you know, I, I do think sometimes what I miss about the jobs I had before this were that, for example, if I was at a restaurant and a, and a customer was being unreasonable, you know, I was always respectful or whatever. But I could kind of just like, I mean, after a while, I could just kind of be like, dude, F you. Right. And just like, whatever, snub them off. It's not the end of the world if we lose this one customer. When you're an ad agency, you have like three or four clients, um, or some agencies have as little as that. Some agencies has have as little as one. So you're sort of beholden to not just the company that's your client, but really like the marketing person, whoever like is like the person who kind of like runs the relationship with your agency. And they can be great, but they can also be you know really unreasonable. And if they're on the unreasonable side, you just kind of have to eat it. And they know so how much like, power they they're like the ultimate yep. Karen. Yeah, could be. Yeah, lots of Karens, uh, you know, and they, it, a lot of like calling people up at like 11 at night, like as if we were working at a hospital or something. Wow. But instead of like someone needing surgery, it's like, 
oh, this banner is the wrong shade of blue and I need to change now. Or like a lot of like emergencies that are just like not real emergencies. Uh, but, you know, being I think a lot of people in our industry do feel lots of levels of job insecurity, even though like our our standard, you know, our wages are good. But you're always kind of thinking about like can't piss off. Let's just call her Karen, I guess. Yeah. Can't piss off Karen too much or like. If Karen is asking for something that's outside of the contract that your agency and her company have, which happens a lot, right? Like the way it works is um, a client will say, hey, we need some advertising done for the, say, the next year. Usually it's in like yearly increments. And the agency will um, write up a contract with them saying, okay, you want X number of campaigns, which means... X number of TV spots or radio spots or, um, you know, retail signage, whatever it is throughout the year, we estimate that that's going to take X number of hours from our staff. And they kind of do the math, like down to the person, like every year, you know, X number of my hours get promised to a client. One second, I'm going to let this cat out sure. of the room. Um, So once, and they usually, you know, that contract will be signed maybe in February, January, February. And so then the rest of the year kind of becomes this game of how much can we get away with mm -hmm. on, um, from the client side. So you do have clients who will, for example, ask you to just like do their presentations for them for their own boss. And you're like, dude, you want to say like, this is total BS and I'm not going to wow. do it. But you can't, you have to always think about well, if we don't do that, are they going to kind of hold it against us? And then when next year's contract come up, are they just going to want to go with someone else? So it becomes kind of this game of extraction. And for the leadership at the advertising for the on the agency side, it's no skin off their back if they only sold an X number of hours and the client ends up taking more because they're still getting that money right. from the number of hours they sold. And the sort of the surplus or the whatever you want to call it, like the... The additional labor just comes out of like the hours of the of the people who actually do the work. Um, right. So, so yeah, go ahead. So okay, so I'm kind of gauging that the way you're saying it is like okay, they've they've basically broken up the the workload per person mm -hmm. per hours, and that's what the contract's based on. Yeah. But if you wind up working more, you're not really making any more. You're just fulfilling the contract. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, if, if they get brazen and they like ask for like a, a total, completely extra campaign, um, you know, our teams, you know, the people who handle the account, they'll be like, well, we got to work up a, a, a secondary contract out of scope. Right. Right. So the agency gets paid. You don't get paid uh, any extra. I mean, your salary make, is your salary. Yeah, and that's no, it. Yeah. The agency would make an argument that, um, Maybe you get a bonus next year if you clog in. And and sometimes that happens. It's not super common, I would say. Um the so but yeah, I mean no there's no overtime pay and I do I've never I don't know of any agency that does overtime pay or anything like that, unless you're like a freelancer, I guess. Um so it's no the sort of the implicit agreement, and this is something by the way that most employees buy into which is kind of like the toxic part isn't as much them trying to step over you as like everybody kind of just buys into like, yeah, like part of working in advertising and part of the pride 
is that, you know, you're just going to be working a lot of late nights and like that's just part of the job. It's and, like the video game industry and crunch. Yeah, yep, exactly. It's exactly like that. And I, I would say the film industry, too. I mean, people kind of, in my opinion, get exploited over there, work ridiculous hours, you know. And but if you complain, you're almost everybody else will look at you like you must not want it bad enough. You must not be cut out for this. So to that point. Is there blackballing? Like, if, if you raise your voice and you're like, this isn't right, I mean, will they, like, blackball you out of the industry? I don't know about if out of the whole industry um, because, well, who knows? I mean, there are a lot of agencies. And and when what's funny is when they win a business and they tell them they have certain staff that they don't have. <laughs> right. Then they're, certainly they're, like, desperate. They'll hire anybody, right? But, um, but you can definitely... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've only maybe witnessed one or two instances of somebody maybe raising their hand at a meeting or calling out leadership. And uh, when layoffs came, they definitely were in the layoffs. Um, I don't want to say as I, I, I don't know if it's fair to go as far as to say that someone can blackball you from the whole industry, but. Um, well, I would imagine if you were in like a film or music specific, they probably could. Yeah, that seems to me like that. Yeah, and actually, I mean, I know that sometimes they talk about certain, let's say directors. Directors don't, like film directors, they don't really work with, like, as part of ad agencies, but you hire them out. Right. And, like, if somebody's a little, gives too much lip or is a problem, the it, word gets around pretty quickly not to hire them again. Um, and I would, I, I would like to tell you that the same happens with, um, with um, people, employees of ad agencies, but I've seen some people like F up so hard and then they still end up always finding a job somewhere else eventually, which I think is, I guess, in the end, a good thing. Well, I would think in your industry too. I mean, look, if you're a person who is basically spending your entire life creating, I think mm -hmm. there's something to be said about the emotion that's tied in with creation. All right. So whether you're writing a song, whether you're doing an ad, whether you're filming something or, or you want a scene to be a certain way, I think there should be a certain amount of leniency in the creativity aspect. But you you also have to get down to the human element. And just because some a scene didn't go your way or a four-bar measure didn't come out like the way you wanted it, it doesn't give you carte blanche to treat people like garbage. Oh, totally agree. And that's, like, oh, yeah. And I think in a way, um, you know, I realize, like, especially our creatives, they're under a lot of pressure and stuff. But um, one thing I appreciate, at least about where I work now, is, like, there's little patience for at least creatives to kind of be treating people badly even because things didn't go the way. As far as a larger point, I do to anybody who will listen or people I mentor or whatever, I usually do tell them, I advise them that the work we do is not art. And that's very debatable, mm -hmm. but I try, I choose to believe like the, what we're making is not art. Like it shouldn't, you shouldn't put your creative aspirations into what we do because another that takes me to another downside of it is like everything's kind of done by committee. Right. So right. if you are like, 
you know, if you're a musician or you're, you know, a, a writer and you you have like, oh, I've always wanted to make this spot and I have this story and it's perfect. We hand that to the client. And after, you know, all the layers of approvals and up through the CEO or whoever, that comes out the other end unrecognizable. It's why most ads really do suck, right? It's very rare to have an ad kind of go through that whole process and retain the original vision of the person who created it. So I do just so that they're a little happier, I, I just advise people like try to have a personal creative projects, you know, take advantage of the fact that you work with creative people here and do stuff on the side. But Oh, that that's, yeah. that's brilliant because I would imagine there are some people that get into that industry who feel like it's their stepping stone into show showcasing their overall creativity and they wind up having watered down ideas, ideas getting stolen or whatnot. Oh, and, yeah. and oh I, that happens. Yeah. Time. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think if, if you're a really creative person, treat it as a job. Okay. But keep your core good stuff to yourself and network. I, to me, if you're a creator, I would think going into the advertising industry would be more about networking with people that can help you get to your ultimate goal while providing a service to the company you work for. Is that correct? I would, I would look at it that way for sure. It's great networking. Part of the reason, you know, I mean, I told you how they ended up kind of funneling me to what I do now, right? but I've been in it long enough that I could probably try to get like a more creative spot. Uh, at this point I've like built enough goodwill. Um, but I do not because I don't, I, I like doing that stuff outside of work and right. I feel like it would kind of burn my brain too much in the same area. Right. So, um, but no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of people do really cool kind of personal projects with people they've met through work. Um, but it's mostly like you said, like I would, if I were them, I would treat it the job, like a job you, you do the best you can. But first of all, I just don't believe and this could get very philosophical, but mm -hmm. like if at the end of the day, your art piece has to sell something to somebody explicitly, I'm not sure that that's kind of art for, I don't know if that's pure creative expression, maybe. Right. And you could be very artful with the ads you make, but a lot of times people have ideas that are just like really fun, cool, say design ideas. And then you're like, all right, but how can we work this beer logo into it? And, and they get frustrated, but I'm like, look, like you have to sell the beer. I, I don't know what to tell you. So that's why I do try to advise for people's sanity, you know, treat, do the best uh, on, on, on your, on your work for your clients. It is a creative exercise and it can be fun, but you know, that burning novel you have those, that burning painting you have inside of you, don't, do it on your own. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't give it to, to them. Don't try to turn it into an ad. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Because I, and I could see where some people could be twisted to think that, that, you know, going into that industry would, you know, help them get, I guess it kind of goes back to a lot of stuff. Don't give everything to your job, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I would kind of equate advertising very similar to like the music or the film industry. It's, it's, it's really more about, you know, like we discussed networking, because if you get somebody in there, you know, like you said, you do video, you may have this great video idea that will be extremely successful on its own, stand on its own two feet without the advertising agency. But once you submit it to your agency, and like you said, you know, they, it never comes out 
you know, the end product isn't what you said. And it's kind of like hero said in, in the chat, she said, I imagine it's like putting your stuff in a rock tumbler. It looks one way and gets bashed and polished and spun until something shiny and different comes out. Oh yeah. So you've kind of lost your intellectual property at that point in time, right? Oh yeah. And actually, I mean, no one's ever, I've never heard of anybody enforcing it or anything, but in theory, like, Anything you write on computers that are company property are their intellectual property. So, like, if you write your own novel or something in there, they wouldn't – I don't think they would do that. It would be really bad PR for them. But I think they could make a legal argument that that novel you wrote is theirs if you even just did it at the office or on their property. Right. There's always Um, ways. So, no, you got to be careful with that. I think, like – I would say this is a nice segue into probably the the other kind of big thing that is I've heard you talk a lot about when you were a manager and you kind of brought it home with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And I think that that is the the thing I probably thought about the least is that you do bring this work home with you if you're not careful with it, especially after COVID. And I love working from home. We do kind of a hybrid thing, but especially after working from home, like people call you no matter like what hours. Right. And I think what's kind of what I've noticed is, um, is interesting and maybe a little sad or something is that because, you know, the people who work in this industry, you know, because they're doing a craft that I guess they care about, like a designer, you know, they're getting, it's hard to be like judged every day on like your design skills and stuff you really, really care about. Right. Right. So there's like that. I think, the employers and like they know that at some level and so they know in a sense from your fear of being judged for being a bad creative or Mm -hmm. something or or from your like some of the shame they they can kind of turn this job in really subtle ways into something that just takes over your entire life that you're always thinking about um and it is one of those jobs that you do definitely take home with you and that's maybe the main thing i miss about you know, stocking beverages and stuff is that right. I would be done with it and I was just done with it. And it, you know, um, my mental health was a lot better. I've been working like actively to like get better with mental health. And I think, you know, in a sense, big quit energy kind of is part of that. But, but, um, my mental health was like a lot, even though like materially I was like in more precarious states my mental health and my job separation was better. So this is definitely one of those jobs where they know, and, and you're, and you're not really, I, you can't even really, I mean, you can say when you're discontent, but again, like they turn back and tell you, I thought this was your passion. I thought right. you loved drawing. I thought you loved video. I thought you loved writing. Throw it in What's your wrong? face. Why, why don't you like doing it 23 hours a day or whatever? <laughs> right. All right. Um, so that I think we we kind of through the conversation made it through the whole list. Um, I, I do. Uh, have, there's something. Yeah. There's a couple things in the chat that 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 I want to bring up to you. Um, first of all, you know, as an advertising person, you know, we've mm-hmm. toyed with this idea of doing a retail war zone RPG video game. And Irish Connection asks, "Is the Quest for a Living Wage a good title for a retail best based <laughs> game?" Asking for a friend. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, now, Blame Tag had a really good question, and and this makes sense because because 
I had a little bit of time of my life dabbling in the music industry, so I kind of know how some of this stuff works. And if you think about reading, you know, any kind of end user agreements on different software you use and whatnot, um, doesn't the agency automatically own the rights to anything you create while you work there? Oh, um, I, I think they do. I'm sure I've, I'm, I think I'm sure I've seen that in the, I've seen that in like the, well, what is it like employee manuals and things like that? You know, it's, I always understood, I'm not a lawyer, but I always understood that as like, while I'm at the office right now with like kind of remote work, it's interesting to think about like, I guess, would they try to claim stuff you make at your house? I, I would imagine that it's kind of more of like, as long as you're using company property, like right. they give you computers and they give you all that stuff um, that they own it. But to be honest, I, I, I have to be honest. I have never heard of an agency like stealing like people's personal projects away from them or something like that. Like if somebody like makes a movie and gets really successful, I think they'd rather like, have the clout that you worked for them or something. What you do see a bunch is like actual ad ideas being stolen, say by, you know, within departments or by supervisors or by other agencies, which is kind of this whole another dynamic because when you have like huge companies like multinationals, yeah, they don't have just one agency. They, they hire 20 and pit them against each other. Right. You're right. And they make them sort of collaborate and share ideas with each other. And so you always get to kind of this like really weird place where um, even an agency might kind of be getting credit for an idea that was another agency. It's this whole thing. It's well, a mess. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would think advertising, you know, the advertising business as a whole is not going to be much different than like the film or the music industry. And if you can steal something and get away with it, you're going to, that's just what you're going to do. Now, before we get into, um, BQE, I'm going to put you on the spot and you don't have to answer. Yeah. yeah. Largest client you've ever had to work. Oh, um, I'm not, I don't think I can tell them by name, but I mean, this is this is dumb. this is <laughs> this is not going to be much better. Um, the biggest fast food place you know of is it Golden? They uh, they you know is it you know they they play I, around with that color. I mean, do do, <laughs> do I have to adjust the arch in my foot? <laughs> well, you have two feet. Put them together. There you go. All right, bam. See, that's that's why I love this show. We can we 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 can have wordplay and whatnot. So. For you guys that don't know, okay, um, he does something on the side, right? And, uh, you know, it's Big Quit Energy. And if you look here on the screen, you will see BigQuitEnergy.com and then where to follow him on Twitter. And we were talking about this earlier. And, you know, I kind of had an idea how I was going to do the show. But as I talked to him about this, I wanted to end the show on this. So, please... Tell us about Big Quit Energy, what got you there, and what it's all about. Sure. Um, So I think like a lot of people uh, prior around the pandemic, but honestly before that, I I personally realized that I, if I wasn't a full-blown workaholic, that I had workaholic tendencies. And like I was telling you before the show, 
it wasn't necessarily because I got, oh, I love my job so much. I got to do it all the time. That would maybe be slightly better. But it was because I knew it was because um, I knew there was something in there about maybe not wanting to displease my bosses or my peers, like a lot of shame, just like a lot of stuff, a lot of stories I told myself. And, and, and I'm someone who has always considered themselves to be like a very hard worker, right? And I used to take a lot of pride in that. I still do to a certain degree. But I realized it was kind of destroying my mental health. It was it was just, I was not in a good place. So as, some, as one does, I was just kind of Googling one day and I bumped into like the anti-work Reddit, which I know you've had guests on this show who yes. are from that. I think I'm pretty sure I found Retail Warzone through that somehow. Um, and... Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say that I agree with everything on that subreddit, um, but it struck me as very, very interesting. And there were like certainly certain, especially the reading list they had um, that just, you know, they had points of view of questioning just really like, why do we idolize work so much? And is work really like a moral good? I'm not personally really sure I know the answer to that yet. Well, I used to kind of unquestioningly say like, yeah, like, um, as I said, as I told you before, I mean, it made me think about the fact that if you told me that somebody, hey, some, I know somebody who neglected like their kids and like was never around because they were so devoted to their job, I would maybe nod my head and say, maybe not ideal, but like that there's a little bit of, it's kind of noble, isn't it? But if you told me, hey, someone like blew off, kind of like blows off their work, does the bare minimum to hang out with their kids as much as possible, I would automatically label them as like, I don't know, lazy or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know about lazy, but like I, I would, and it, it made me think about, isn't that weird? Like those priorities are a little weird. And where does that come from? So big quit energy really was uh, a space that's kind of just taking shape now, but I wanted to read a lot about this and write and kind of sort out my own thoughts through like, writing blog posts and um, making videos, because I do love making that, making certain art. And and there's a, a little bit of everything in there, but for the most part, I've I've been reading a lot of anti-work work, and I've, I've, I have like a lot of articles ready to sort of tease out how I feel about maybe certain assumptions we make about work. I also really like kind of going back and looking at movies and TV shows that were formative mm -hmm. for me, like, Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, which I loved it in college, but I looked at that and I was like, man, that's toxic as hell. Like, it's basically a story about a dude who's like, doesn't get paid for six months and like, pees in a cup to not go to the bathroom. And so I made a video about that, like breaking that down. Uh, I don't know if I'll do like other shows, but for example, I really enjoy The Wire, that TV show. Love that show. But man, are they like massive workaholics in there and it's like, it's toxic. So I, I've, I've been thinking a lot more about the way media and the way just like the way we're brought up, like all the stories that they tell us about work. And honestly, for me, it's just I'm trying to get to a place where I can sort of tease out for myself what part of like my work ethic maybe is good and what part is just like garbage that's been fed to me in order to make me more exploitable. Um, that is so that's a huge statement. And, and I applaud you because I'm right there with you. I, now, as far as anti-work goes, I'm almost willing to bet you and I are probably on the same page. Working is okay. I mean, you you, you got to contribute. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's, we have all been conditioned our entire life that that's what you have to do Mm -hmm. to survive. And, you know, and I'm sure you, you, you're in the same circles, you're on Reddit, you see the memes, you know, stuff like, okay, you know, you retire at 65 and if you're lucky and Mm -hmm. you've got the 10 worst years of your physical life left and, and it's like, what are you doing? And, and the great point is about, you know, missing kids' birthdays and things like that and, and how we are conditioned. I mean, and, and it's really interesting for me with all of that at the age I'm at. I just turned 52. <clears throat> I was raised in that mindset. It took COVID and me getting laid off to break that and, and realize that, look, you know, and I'm so fortunate that I figured it out now. Sure, mm. we'd all love to make more money. All right, you know, money's the root of all evil, and unfortunately, it's the root of most good. But you know, the fact that when you look at things like that, and you start realizing your worth, and you start realizing the worth of your time, and it's you're 100. You you obviously came up the same way you had the whole same thing you know two years ago if somebody blew off coming to work to spend time with their kids i'd be just like that i'd be like Mm -hmm. oh well they don't want to work man they're 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 lazy and and it's like the greatest scam of all time and capitalism has its pluses and it has its minuses but the fact that Capitalism has brainwashed so many of us to put our own health, our own families, our own lives on the back burner to make somebody richer who isn't doing any really hard work of their own. Bro, we got a problem. Yeah, I think, um, again, like I said, I don't necessarily agree with like everything on anti-work, but I, I walk around with my friends like I do. And when like people say like, no one wants to work anymore or whatever, I'm like, I I don't want to work. I hate working. And like, and, and part of the reason, I think it's like, not just because I enjoy the trolling, but because I do think that it's pretty useful to, even if you don't believe the other extreme Mm -hmm. to even just entertain it. I think it kind of saps you out of like, Oh man, I have been like, why should I want to work? Like maybe I do, but if I do want to work, I should figure out the reasons why I want to do it and not have it be out of shame. I I did promise you a story. And since you brought it up, I guess I would end with like, there was one time and this was five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. So I was like, not in this path yet, but I was working at an ad agency and we were like kind of on the small side and on the understaffed side. And there was this kind of hot shot, big shot kind of like creative director that they had just hired. And um, we were working on like a Sunday morning or something. I think we went in, right. It was one of those weekends and, um, and we had an idea kind of squared away. We thought we were good with it. And then the client changed their mind last minute. And this thing was due to their boss, like on Monday. So the company president person, she says, I'm sorry, you guys have to stay the rest of Sunday. And we were like, oh, well, okay. And he goes, you know, I have my uh, my daughter's like sixth birthday party coming up today. And this woman tells him, 
she says, you know, well, you're just kind of have to decide what's more important to you. She wow. just laid it out there like that. And he just went, all right, fuck you. And he just like <laughs> packed up his shit and left. And I remember looking at that and being like, man, I don't know if I would have the courage to just walk out like that on. And what will they say about my career and stuff? And I don't know, to be honest, if that happened to me today, I would like to think that I would walk out. I'm like trying to get myself to have enough big quit energy, I guess, right. to, to do that. But it's scary. And I really, you know, now during these anti-work times or whatever, I look back on that guy and I think, man, like he had it figured out. Good for him. You know, and, but, and you're right. And we have been put into a position of fear our entire lives. I mean, we really have. Because you know mm -hmm. what? That's admirable. Now, yeah. I, I would be willing to bet that this person was already looking for another job and had something probably lined <laughs> up, okay? I mean, let, let, let's be real here, all right? But <laughs> it, it, it's um, that's the way it should be. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's I've missed all sorts of stuff. And and and, and my wife will tell you, I, I spent way too much time dedicated to my quote-unquote craft. And ladies and gentlemen, working retail is not a craft. It's a job. And, you know, my, my opinions have changed now. I mean, if you want more out of me, you need to pay me for it. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's it's just how it is. And, you know, I applaud you for going down this path. You know, the big the big quit energy thing, I, I, I get it and I understand. And, and it makes sense. And, you know, work has been a thing that was created whenever it was. And I mean, and, and look at what it's done. Okay. Look, look, look at a bigger picture on jobs and, 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 you know, industry and big corporations. You know, mm -hmm. if you grow up in the time I did, we had TV shows like Little House on the Prairie or that. You know, whatever happened to the Family General Store? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. What happened to bartering? You know, I've got this. You you have that. I'll trade you, and we'll 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 keep it moving. Uh, those days are gone, and it's a shame. And you know, I haven't done enough research into it to really see where it. You know, it really took off. But, you know, you see the meme. I mean, you've probably seen it on anti-work talking about peasants in like the medieval times and how many days they worked a year. And mm -hmm. the peasants in medieval times had it better than <laughs> all of us. And, they, and it is they like... They had more PTO. Right. They, they had more PTO. <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And, you know, and it's great having you on because, you know, you're in a different industry than we've talked about. But it's everywhere, you know, and and I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, you know, I, I will continue messaging you, talking about different other things and whatnot, because I think this is fascinating. I think it's extremely fascinating when I get people from different industries that we can kind of talk about it. It all correlates the same. It doesn't matter if it's retail, advertising, you know, I'm sure airline pilots, NASA scientists, mm -hmm. etc. I'm sure it's all the same. Okay. But, you know, the one thing I would say in your situation is, you know, you, you work in a field with a lot of creatives and I, and I know how touchy creatives are. Okay. We, <laughs> if, if you're in, you know, music, film, whatever, and you, you're creating things, those things are your babies. And, and I think, you know, the one thing you said about, 
you know, consider it your job. Don't give them your best work, I think is very, very important because, you know, we all have, if you're a musician, you got that one song that you think is going to be famous. If you're a painter, you got that one piece that you think is going to be, you know, in a gallery somewhere one day next to the Mona Lisa. Don't give that to a job that you work for. Keep that to yourself. Yeah. And I think even, even if it wasn't like a matter of a job stealing it from you, I just think, you know, there's not just creatives. Cause I don't, I believe everybody's creative. I I'm one of those people. Like I just, I don't necessarily believe that there's only one subset. There's just people who've been told they can be creative and people who've You're been right. told they can't. But that, that aside, I would say even, you know, if you have an idea that's going to make you like a bunch, a bunch of money or whatever, you shouldn't give that to your job. But even if, but I think even beyond that, like, I think that it, people should just try as best as they can. If you are, you know, if you like creativity, um, part of like the appeal of anti-work for me too, is like, who says you have to make money from that? I mean, I think if you set up your life in a way where you have a job, that's just a job that's not taking over your life. Um, you can also then just like do whatever creative idea you have and not, worry about whether it's going to make you money or not because for a lot of people that's not the point but the fact that you have to eat and you've kind of been told i mean we could talk another hour about this but like you know when when people say that they have like a i don't know i have a passion for watercolor or whatever usually you tell a friend or family that they immediately start in a well-intentioned way they start asking you about like oh well how can you make a career out of it or monetize out of it? And even that pressure of making like a job out of a creative thing, I don't think is necessarily for everybody, right? Right. So even to that extent, like us only thinking in terms of jobs, can I make this a job, um, is counterproductive. You know, it, it, that brings up, I don't know why this flashed in my head here as we end this out. You know, we talk about anti-work and stuff like that. So let, let, let's let's go back millions of years, all right? So the planet was created. There's fruit. There's vegetation. There's food that you can eat. It was just there. Who decided mm-hmm. the fuck we had to pay for it? Uh, you know, I wouldn't know. Like, yeah, uh, right, probably right. It was there for the taking. Invented, uh, the dinosaurs weren't, like, exchanging, like, <laughs> you know debit cards they were eating whatever they wanted so what genius out there decided oh look there's an apple tree this apple tree is mine you're gonna pay me for it man we're just we're just fucked up (laughs) yeah no it's 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 a great point and i think uh i don't consider myself very radical but when you when you say things like that it makes me think about yeah, like is even private property. Does that even make sense? Although I do like I I'm not quite ready to go there. Yeah. But that is like you used to yeah, I mean, and what you said about mom and pop stores and stuff where you could barter and um I think we we had this whole element, this alternate way of surviving where like people didn't need to have paid jobs, right? Right. And and now we for reasons that are beyond my understanding at the moment, I'm trying to also get educated on it. But for reasons like it, that just is a lot harder to the point where, where if you tell somebody, hey, yeah, I'm going to just try to grow my own food, like they think you're crazy. They think you're like a hippie. Right. 
Right. And and there's some places and some states that will tell you you can't grow your own food. Right, too. It's illegal in some places, like, too. Like, so, what the yeah. hell is that? That's, I mean, you know, no wonder the planet's pissed off at all of us. You know, you know, <laughs> earthquakes, they're just trying to shake us off. And they're like, hey, we gave you a shot. You, you didn't effed up, so go on. But, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. I mean... I, I am not against working, okay? I, I believe that everybody should contribute to a society in some way. But that value doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't mm. have to be based on somebody's profit margin. It has to be contributing to a community, all right? Right. That's, right. There, and that's a huge difference. When you're working for a paycheck, you're not really contributing to a community. You're, part, you're a cog in a machine. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I wish, I mean, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. It's never going to go back, and we have to find creative ways to get around it. And and I do believe that we're seeing that now in a lot of ways. And I know the millennial generation gets a lot of hate. And But, you know, I saw something the other day where, like, a recruiter got mad because the person they were interviewing was asking, well, what's the company going to do for me? You know mm-hmm. what? Good job. You should ask them what they're going to do for you. You know, if, if you know, these are business transactions. If you if, if mm-hmm. these 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 companies, they're all about business until it comes to hiring. They don't want to look at hiring as a business transaction. They want to look right. at it getting the cheapest labor they can. No, when you interview somebody and you bring them in on the job, it is a financial transaction and the company that's hiring can negotiate and the person that's coming for the job can negotiate. And if you have a problem with somebody asking, what's your company going to do for me? You probably don't want to work for them anyway. Total agreement. I mean, couldn't agree more. And I think it's, you know, it seems like people are getting a little bit more aware of that. Like the dynamics are changing a little bit. And that's why I like shows like this one. I mean, I think you're right. And it, it doesn't matter what industry the basic dynamics are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I, I, I'm really heartened that there's just a lot more uh, avenues and places where people are having this conversation. And the fact that like employers even feel the need to like write scare articles about quiet quitting and like, oh. that's, that's all a good thing. It means that like, there's a little bit of, yeah, people are getting more savvy and they're just questioning things more. And who knows how long it will last, but uh, I think it's progress. I think it's it's all going to be for good. Well, I mean, I'm older, but I mean, I have no problem saying this. Guys, keep doing what you're doing. The old guard's going to die eventually. And up, you know, from those ashes maybe we can create something better. Now, I don't ever want anyone to believe that I think you should just sit at home. I think you should contribute contribute to your community. I, I just do, okay? Whether it be, you know, if we went back to the olden days and you were running a general store or you were the doctor who went house to house or, you know, you're doing laundry for, for your village or, or whatnot, yeah, you, you need to be a contributing member to society. But being a contributing member to society doesn't mean you are a slave and mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're owned and doesn't mean that it's required, Okay. And, you know, 
everybody go check out big quit energy he's got some great stuff there he really really does and i think in the next 10 to 15 years we're going to see some really big changes and and the the older people that are still alive are going to say that it's terrible no just just let it run its course it it, it'll be okay Uh, you know you, you hear the statement that you know when you have kids you want your children to have better than you had hey listen guys that's a pro this is a product of that now you have children being raised asking the questions they should ask you know they've seen families destroyed by jobs and careers we raised this so back them up yeah from your podcast to god's ears and i hope the older people can get some rest too and like advocate for themselves as well yeah don't be mad like it's not too late. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so Ovago, this has been great. Um, we will stay in touch, and I will have you back again if you would like to come. I'm sure there will be plenty I, of stories, but you, this has been fascinating. I have enjoyed this greatly. I would love that. I would love to come back anytime you want me, and I've enjoyed this too. And like I said, I really enjoy the show. Well, thank um, you. Thanks for doing it. Yes. And thank you, everybody. Yep. So uh, next week, just to let everybody know before we get off here, I've got ET Fresh Media. So we're going to have a convenience store that is on the extraterrestrial highway. So we're going to have some interesting things there. A lot of cool stuff coming in September. Once again, I apologize. August has been all over the place. There's birthdays, anniversaries, movings, all sorts of stuff. So, but, you know, tonight, is back to return to form and going forward we're going to go get it so it has been awesome thank you everybody for being here and we will see you next time peace out